you would turn in your scriptures to Hebrews 12 for our scripture reading. Hebrews chapter 12, as we near the end of this series in Hebrews. Beginning at verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom, a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I, trem- I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's pray. Father, bless us as we come to your word, and we pray that you would conform us and transform us into the image of your Son. Help us to attend to what you would say to us this morning and what you would do within us that it might come out of us to bless others. In Jesus' name, amen. I made it recently on a trip to see my mom in Manatick near Ottawa. My plane in London was delayed an hour and a half. And when we were finally ready to go, the pilot decided that the runway needed plowing. And then when the plowing was done, he decided the plane needed de-icing. Three hours later, in the air, I'm thinking, where's my Nexus card? I couldn't find it. Apparently, it had fallen under my seat, and of course, that's on my mind. Fortunately, the guy behind me found it, and we ended up landing in Toronto, and five of us from the plane raced across this airport to make a connection to Ottawa, and they held the plane for 10 minutes, but we were two minutes late. They put us on the final flight out for that evening. And when I was in the air now on the trip to Ottawa, I was desperately thirsty. And I was looking so forward to that glass of water they give economy passengers, right? And the the pilot came on the speaker, ladies and gentlemen, there will be no refreshments because of the danger of turbulence. Well, we got into Ottawa after midnight, and the car rental place where I booked my car, of course, was closed. So 
in the airport, I, trying to figure out what to do, and I downloaded Uber. And I used Uber. Wow, that was pretty cool. Um, the Uber driver drove me for half an hour, and he said, we're here. And I said, where are we? He said, Manatech. I said, this is a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. Manatech is a village. I said, there's not a single light out there. He wanted me to get out. And I imagine the paper the next day would say, Lambton County pastor found frozen in snowbank and <laughs> something like that. He wanted me to get out. I had to pay him an extra $12 to get me to the actual village of Manatee. And then I walked in my mom's door. She's 89 years old. And she waited up and she was praying. It was 2 a.m. in the morning now. And she said, welcome, welcome. And I said, I made it. I made it. Now, our preacher who's preaching to the Hebrews here, these Jewish Christians, he is very concerned that those who profess faith in Christ make it to glory. Clearly, his listeners were discouraged. Uh, they... They'd come to Christ, friends had become enemies, families were alienated, there was ferocious opposition, property loss, even discord in the congregation and differences. Some were watering down the gospel, some were in favor of turning away, some were going back to, to where they'd come from. They wanted to go back to their old ways. In chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, remember last week, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's witnesses of faith, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, he says, the race that's set before us. So lay aside your sin, he says, run with endurance. I know you're facing a lot of turbulence. Run with, run with endurance, the race before you. In fact, he'll use that word endurance or endured a number of times. He says in verse 2, looking to Jesus, a founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, Christ endured, you endured. He had a joy set before him. You have a joy set before you. Endure what you're going through. In verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And so our writer is pointing us to Jesus Christ, that Christ was disputed with, he was mocked, he was disparaged, he was condemned at every turn. And they crucified him, and he endured it all. He endured it all, never giving up, never turning away from his calling or mission to save the people that the Father had ordained would be saved. In verse 4, 
He says, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Look at it, he's saying, you're not a martyr yet in wrestling against your own sinfulness and the sin in your life. You're not dead yet, he's saying. You haven't shed blood in your efforts to be holy. You know, we can fall into a trap of self-pity so easily. And he's saying, look outward. Look, consider him. Consider Jesus. Right? When things are tough, there's nothing like getting the focus off yourself and onto Christ. Consider Jesus in your struggle against the sin. Keep your eyes on him. That's, that's the test that we have in our personal battlefield within. You're not dead yet. In, keep your eyes on Jesus. And you're not perfect yet. He'll underline this in verse 4 and following down to verse 11. He mentions that we're called sons in verse 5. And verse 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Endure it. You're not perfect yet. You have a privilege. God is treating you as sons. You're sons of God, daughters of God. And just as a father disciplines his son, so the Almighty God is disciplining you. And so he's saying, look, it in your struggles and trials, God's not absent. Have you considered that God is actually allowing this and bringing this as a testing for your own good, he says in verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, that's human fathers, that we may share his holiness. He disciplines us for our own good that we may share his holiness. His desire is that we be holy, we be righteous. And so much of that comes into our life that's hard and we have to enjoy. We, we need to be asking ourselves, God, what are you teaching me? What are, you, what are you saying to me through these events that are hard? How are you using this in my life to make me more like Christ? Because you're not perfect yet. We haven't arrived yet. And he's still doing a work in us. And there's more holiness to grow into. And he intends these, these struggles and the turbulence of life. He, he intends to mold us and to care for us and to strengthen our faith. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, and shouts in our pain. Like God shouts in our pain. That we're in the midst of struggles, particularly positioned to hear what God is, is, is doing, to, to, to change and be conformed to Christ, to, to have those sharp edges of our character and are honed down and filed away. And, and so he's saying, keep on. You're not dead yet. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And you're not perfect yet. <laughs> God desires you to be holy and is the, the testing and trials in our life are, are from his hand. 
And then in verse 12, he picks up on the race metaphor. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet. You see hands, knees, feet. So what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hmm. Not only are we not dead yet, not only are we not perfect yet, but we're not done yet in verse 12 and following. We're not done yet. Strive, he says. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That root of bitterness is drawn from Moses in, in, in the book of Deuteronomy. And the people were walking in stubbornness of their heart, and they were turning away to idols. And he, talk, he, he, he refers to the root there of bitterness. It's, it, it, it's a poisonous root. And it goes down, and roots can be hard to see, but they can go down deep, and sometimes they suddenly appear. You see that on tree, tree roots, right, where you don't see the root, but you see a piece of it coming out of the ground over here. It can be like that in congregations, where suddenly this root of bitterness comes up and, and causes trouble, and it defiles, and it, and it gives us an example here, an illustration for us. He says, verse 16, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. So sexual immorality and unholiness, that is, Esau, as he despised what, what God had given to him, Verse 17 says, For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Esau. Esau missed his connection. He didn't make it to heaven, he didn't finish the course. He turned aside. One of my favorite cartoon panels is of a very old lady rocking in her rocking chair. And she's talking to somebody. She says, I'm getting so old, my friends in heaven will think I didn't make it. <laughs> I didn't make it. Esau didn't make it. Craddock says this, the churches are disappearing rapidly today through neglect, apathy, absenteeism, disinterest, sexual anarchy, unholiness, conflict. They're drifting away to become exactly like the culture, to believe what the culture believes, to behave as the culture behaves and they're selling their birthright for worldliness, for pleasure and approval. And they're not gonna make it. They're not gonna make it. They've turned back. So he's saying you're not dead yet as he brings this argument to a close. You're not dead yet. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. You're not perfect yet. Don't get bitter in trials. God's doing something. And you're not done yet. Continue on. Pursue holiness. Persevere. Hold on to the faith. Keep your eye on the prize, which is so much better than the culture, what the culture offers us. Now imagine for a moment that you're in an airport and the journey has been long already and there are two gates before you at the airport, two possible flights. One takes you to Mount Sinai and the other flight takes you to Mount Zion. Which flight will you take? Which gate will you choose? And almost like a travel agent here, our preacher in Hebrews takes us to those two gates. And he recognizes the gate that the people of God have taken. He develops a contrast between the two, between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And he begins with Mount Sinai in verse 18 and following. And he tells us things about its wilderness and the gloom and the darkness, as I've read earlier. And how they they couldn't even stand to hear from God. They wanted Moses, God to speak through Moses. And Moses himself, as the mediator, was, was trembling in fear. Sinful Israel and their worship was fear and trembling and And then he takes us to Zion in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Right? You haven't come to Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. Innumerable angels and festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven. To God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Mm. Abel's blood brought a curse. The blood of Christ brings forgiveness. It brings life. It brings resurrection and blessing and He says, this is what you've come to. This word, we're in verse 22, but you have come. It it, it, doesn't mean that we have entered that yet. We're still here in this life, in this earth. But we're right at the gate (laughs) to Mount Zion. We're getting near, as it were. We're we're on the flight (laughs) to God's kingdom and the new Jerusalem and the city of God. In fact, we're getting ready to land and, 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 and the gear is down and the door is soon going to open. People are already wanting to stand in the aisles. And we're almost there is what he's saying. We're almost there. We're so very, very close. And others, others have gone off to other gates and other connections the way that seems right to a man and leads to death. And they are lost. 
and they'll never make it to Zion. But you, us, we're staying in Christ and we're going to hold on to faith in Christ and we're going to reach together the final stop, the end of the line. The end of the line for us is glory. It's the city of God, he says, the living God. And we're almost there. The joy has been set before us. We're on the verge. We're, we're on the very edge of what God has for us. It's too late to get off, to turn back. No, it's the very next stop, glory. The next stop is the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Not trembling, but reverence and awe. Remember this. And some of you are facing turbulence in your life. And the journey can seem long and you can have so many frustrations and delays. You may be parched in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And there seems no refreshment along the way. And then you wonder if you've been stranded in some wilderness because there seems to be no light on the horizon. Endure. Hold on. Press on. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You're not dead yet. And you're not perfect yet. Lord, what are you teaching me? How are you using me this to, to, to grow me in Christ Jesus? And you're not done yet. Pursue holiness. Holiness. Make those choices. Don't despise what Christ did for you. Keep going in faith. Keep going because you know where you're going. And our Father is waiting up for you to welcome you home. And you're going to say, I made it. I made it because you saved me, because you kept me, because you directed me. Let's pray together. Father, your word says that you will welcome us and will be a father to us sons and daughters to you. And we know the master who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And you establish our steps along the way. And you bear us up and you take us by the hand. Father, whatever 
we as individuals here this morning are facing or enduring, oh, we pray that for the joy set before us, that we will hearken to your word here, that we will be filled in the midst of trial with gratitude for Jesus and for the day that's coming. And that one day we will be ushered in to glory. Oh, Father, let us not turn back. Let us not turn away. Let us not turn aside. You will see to it that we make every connection, that, that you take us from here to there because we're kept by your power. And so, Father, corporately as well, and whatever you call for us to go through as the Church of Christ gathered here, People's Church, oh, we pray that we might meet it with faith and trust, with endurance, and we'll need your help for that, your continued faithfulness as we go into um, these weeks and months ahead. There is so much going on so quickly, Lord. And we pray that uh, our culture might not inform our choices and our hopes and desires, but, but your word is that lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we thank you and we look forward to that welcome home. In Jesus' name, amen.